Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to This Little Light, a podcast about falling in love with music Hosted by me, Flea, and produced by Cadence 13 and Parallel. For the first episode of this podcast, our guest is music producer and my dear friend, Rick Rubin. Over the years, it feels like the palette of my understanding keeps expanding. I can get to the point where I like something that's stripped down and what's it like with an orchestra. And I can go there now. In the early days, I couldn't because I I didn't understand. It was too much. It was too complicated. I've known Rick for about 30 years. I've worked with him a lot. Rick is someone who's a huge inspiration to me and has been a guiding light in my life for many years. As a producer, Rick is intense. He was on the ground floor of hip-hop, producing acts like Run DMC and LL Cool J. I think he made L.O. Cool J's first record out of his college dorm. He produced speed metal bands like Slayer. He's made pop records like The Bangles and many other things. He's a guy who transcends category or even specific sound. He's someone who sees the magic and the essence of music in each artist that he works with. We're going to talk about how music took him over when he was a little boy, how he felt the spirit. and. This inspiration, this touchstone of the freedom that he felt in his body when he heard music has been the thing that guided him all through his career. Whether he was singing Super Freak with Hoes in a complete wild noise band inspired by Flipper, to Kowali music with Nusrat Fateh Ali Khan, Rick Rubin has done it all. And it's so exciting for me to talk about this stuff with him. Hope you enjoy it. You look good. Let's see on the on the big screen. Let me see <laughs> if I have a way to make you big. There's going to be four drill sounds in the next like two minutes, and then it'll then. I got sound. drills too. I got, you drills, got drills too. too? Okay. Power saws. Nice. I'm going to just make you full page, so so all I see is you. You don't want to see yourself. No. I'll just see a button here. Are you in Italy? I am in Italy. Man, that one show that you came to. It was, what, what I saw was great. I only made it four or five songs because Ra tapped out. Right. He's five and he can take so much, you know? Yeah. I, I think we're like at a level where we're playing good. Uh, so like every night is good, but. How's, how's um, band communication and the, the psychic connection? How are all the, those aspects? In general, really good. Great. And like generally just like this overarching feeling of gratitude. Like I can tell like. We're all just feeling like, fuck, we're doing this, you know? Like It's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it trips me out. It trips me out to see. And the yeah. audience seems so um, thankful that you were there. Yeah, like all of us. It's like this fucking thankful fest. Yeah. So the idea of the podcast, I'm doing it to benefit my music school. 
and the idea being that you know every podcast is pretty specifically about music education, and it's been really fascinating. Actually, I kind of love it, like because everybody's path is so different. Yeah, like you talk to you know someone like a rapper who just grew up listening to records and wanted to be part of a culture, or a classical musician who studied at the Paris Conservatory, and every musician's journey is so different, and it's it's amazing to hear, you know. Do you remember your very first appreciation of music as a kid, like the first time you really felt touched and um, like drawn to it? I can remember when I was um, a little kid, I, I want to say three, three or four years old, something like that, hearing the Beatles version of uh, rock and roll music, Chuck Berry song. I didn't know it was Chuck Berry, so I didn't know who Chuck Berry was. Um, but I remember the rhythm of it um, f making me dance uncontrollably. Like, I felt like it took over my body. And uh, anytime I heard the song, it would just take over my body. And that was one example of really, like, feeling feeling the music. And then over the course of my life, it happens all the time. Just there are these moments where you can't believe you're hearing this thing that's just has this power over you that's... Um, so big you know yeah and and so like feels so good feels amazing <laughs> yeah is it do you feel like it's the same like you're still like when you first tapped into that when you were a little kid and it's not expected or anything you're just like oh my god this joy and your body is moving around does it still feel the same when you have that feeling yeah i i, I have it all the time and i'm basically all of the time that i'm in the studio I'm patiently waiting for it. Because yeah. again, I know we can't control it. It happens when it happens. Um, and it'll be, things will be moving along in a, in a ordinary way for a period of time. And then all of a sudden, something else is going on that's bigger. And you feel it. And, and it, there's no, um, there's not an intellectual component to it. It's purely happening in the body. You know, like you, it's, uh, you f I feel it in my whole body. Me too. And it just is a thrilling experience. But it's, it's, I don't know that I can think of a better feeling. Yeah. Would you say that, like, with everything that you've learned about music in your life and where you are now, um, which is a lifelong study, you know what I mean? It's like we're always listening, and even if we don't think we're studying, we're studying. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, oh, I like this because of this. And, mm -hmm. But would you say that considering, everything it's that feeling that governs the entire thing like everything. that yes. yeah the the the, f the feeling of transcendence is what it's always about for me yeah me too i'm always looking for it like i, I have specific moments throughout my life where i felt that the most profoundly and the memory is so ingrained in me that i'm always reaching for that like oh that where I'm kind of floating and I know that I'm just a, a vibrating thing, mm -hmm. you know. And it could be a Bach piece or it could be ACDC. You know, yeah. it could be a, a, an emotional Nick Cave song or a, a, a trumpet solo in a, in a jazz piece. Yeah. You know, it could, it could be, it could come from anywhere. It's, it's not dependent on the, what's doing it. It could be what's 
remarkable as it could be from Kraftwerk. It could be from an electronic programmed piece of music. It's amazing. Absolutely. It's incredible. So as a kid, like, so you first vibrate with music and you hear Chuck Berry, uh, the Beatles doing rock and roll music, and you, you have that feeling for the first time. And how does that progress? Like, what's the next thing? Because I know that then you become, as you get a little older, you become a serious fan of music, right? You start looking for it and searching it out. Is that right? Like finding records and... Even when I was a little kid, I would go to the record store as often as possible. First, just buying um, 45s, you know, one song 45s. And um, was just, nothing excited me more. And then eventually, probably, I remember how old I was but I got a guitar around the time that punk rock was starting and then, or when I, when I was exposed to punk rock, I guess. And then just started playing along and very rudimentary, you know, punk rock, but being part of it and playing it and feeling it and being inside of it with the playing was a really um, thrilling experience. You were 15, 16 years old? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, and, and did you have, did you feel like there was a... Um a sense of community like whether did you have whether other kids who you connected with about the music and did you feel like you were becoming a part of something like like uh connecting with other people around it not really i was first of all i was an only child so i didn't have a family of you know brothers and sisters listening to music most of the kids that i knew in school that many had older brothers or sisters and their music the music they listened to was very inspired by their older brothers and sisters because yeah. I didn't have that. Mine was more immediate. And, and I think that's one of the reasons that I like punk rock because it was happening then, you know, it was happening while I was in, while I was in junior high school, while I was in high school and it was immediate. Whereas most of the other kids, I was the only punk rocker in my school. Every, everybody else liked um, either the Eagles was popular or Led Zeppelin was popular and John Bonham had already died, you know? So like for me, it was, it wasn't now. Right. I would have had to get into it probably four or five years earlier for that to speak to me. Came around, you know, I eventually came back around to Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath and, and um, those things, but that happened really after punk rock for me. Yeah. I, I mean, you've always been connected to things in real time. Like, I know, like, in my experience, I remember when you were listening to techno music, like, yeah. around the time we were making, getting ready to make Blood Sugar. Yeah. And I was like, this music is terrible. <laughs> I, the, and, and you said to me, I remember you said to me, there's going to be something that's going to come along, and you're going to like it. And you're judging now, but you might as well just quit judging because there's going to be something. Yeah, I, <laughs> it was premature. It was premature. It's like, it was so new that it hadn't really found its footing yet. And... um and and that's same was true with hip hop in the early days of hip hop. Like, I would buy every at that time there were hip hop singles, twelve inch singles, and I would buy every one. None of them were good, but at least it was hip hop. Yeah, and you knew that it was new, and 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 I think that's like you have like a sense of like, oh, this isn't just some weird little trends happening. So this is like something. This is an expression of human spirit that's important, and it just hasn't found its. It's packaged yet, or it's structure yet. Yeah, I, I might not have always known that, because I can remember um, the first time I heard Nine Inch Nails, 
I didn't have any context for it, and I didn't like it. Mm. And then, and it took a while. Probably took me six months from that that first independent album they put out before I came around and became the only thing I listened to. I didn't really like industrial music. You know, the, the industrial music I had heard up until that point, I didn't really like. And then when I, I got past the surface of what it sounded like to the songs and the emotion in Trent's writing and singing, then I loved it. And then I even liked the 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 clothes that it was wearing, which was what originally pushed me away from it. I came around to understand the whole thing, but it took it took his songwriting to get me past stylistically what I didn't like about it. That's funny to me because you liked Flipper and you liked punk rock and this this music that's really noisy. So it's funny to me that you would be put off by the because industrial music, I think of it as like it's like machines grinding and it's loud and it's insistent and very much like you know the noisy punk rock flipper type noise bands that you like. Mm-hmm. But still, you weren't feeling it yet. Not yet. It took. It took. And, yeah. and I think because it was programmed, like certain programmed music really spoke to me. Certain programmed music didn't. Same is true with um, in hard rock music. I tended to like. I call it heavy metal, but it's not really heavy metal. You know, I liked ACDC and Aerosmith, and um, whereas metal is more Iron Maiden, Judas Priest, and. I never really listened to those be- mm. because the 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 ones that I liked were always more rhythmic, more more m- more rooted in the blues, more rooted in a groove, less you know, less straight, less yeah, straight. I then, get it. But then you know there have been forms of straight music that really spoke, you know, came around and spoke to me. But even, like I, I mentioned Kraftwerk earlier, but Kraftwerk is really groovy, crazy groovy. Unbelievable that it's just machines. Hypnotizingly so. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, like you're saying about like, well, I was drawn to the things that are more like where you feel like the R&B and, and the blues and the funk in it, like, like me too. But it's like what I was saying earlier, what you said about techno music, because I grew, I ended up loving so much electronic music. And it's amazing. And so I kind of learned from that, wow, never judge something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because there's going to be something that's come around any style of music. There's going to be some human being that's going to play it in a way that's going to be beautiful. It's going to touch my heart. And I have to always remain open. And I'm just missing out. It's true. Up next, we hear about the creative freedom that comes with growing up in a place where nobody is cool, and Rick's first experience in his studio with his punk rock band, Hose. So you start playing guitar, and you're playing punk rock, and just like connecting with this thing, being inside it, and feeling that feeling. At that time, do you think you were already feeling and understanding like the structure of a thing and what made it work, like in terms of, oh, it's a verse, it's a bridge, it's a chorus. It's these things that make a story with a beginning and a middle and an end. I didn't know it intellectually, but because I listened to so much of the Beatles growing up, hmm. everything I know structurally came from just spending so much time listening to the Beatles. It's so masterfully constructed that that was the, uh, the framework of language to build from. Did you see this <laughs> this new Sex Pistols show, like the dramatic Sex Pistols show? No. 
Oh, because it's just so funny because they fire the bass player because he likes the Beatles. <laughs> I mean, it is like he didn't look punk enough or whatever, but that was their reason. You know, it's funny. I remember yeah. Joe Strummer uh, embarrassingly. We we were in my car when uh, yeah. when uh, what was it? Uh, anthology, you know, the anthology CDs came out. Yeah, and we were driving around. And I was listening to the anthology, and he's like. We're not. We weren't supposed to say it, but we really love the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, remember when I played in Fear, yeah. and I, I was like, it was the first time I was told I wasn't allowed to like Led Zeppelin. <laughs> I like Led Zeppelin was like my favorite rock band of all time. Yeah, you know, it's funny. And um, I, I never did. You have that, like, in you as you developed. You know, like certain things just wasn't cool to like other things. And I, I like, I, I was always like, fuck you. No, I like it. Yeah. Luckily, in my case, coming from where I came from, that didn't really exist because nobody was cool. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I had I grown up in Manhattan, yeah, I would have different taste because I wouldn't have been exposed to as many things that ended up being popular because they were not cool enough. You know, they were just mainstream. So I got yeah. to I got to experience all kinds of music and. um and like things, because of my proximity to the city, I was an hour outside of Manhattan. It was just enough to have a, a suburban upbringing instead of an urban upbringing. And uh, there was no pretension where I came from. Yeah, so you're coming at it from a really pure place. Just you liked it or you didn't like it. You weren't influenced on whether or not you were going to be cool enough to get laid by liking one thing or the didn't know. Didn't, yeah, that wasn't going to happen anyway. It was, yeah. <laughs> I was, I was just like, I was in my room listening to music by myself. Yeah, I can relate. I mean, because I mean, for me, it was completely different just because I, I mean, I grew up in Hollywood where it was completely like that, but I was just in such a world of my own, liking Dizzy Gillespie that I couldn't even, I had no idea what was, you know, it was all weird to me, you know. So what's next? So you, you're, you're liking punk rock. You're you're falling in love. What, what was the next thing that happened? I I guess hip hop. You know, it, punk rock and hard rock were fairly simultaneous. There was, I guess, I probably went to see um, Aerosmith and ACDC both before really getting into punk rock. And then I remember I uh, I bought the the Back in Black album and the Germs album at the, on the same day, at the same trip to the record store in, in um, Harvard Yard in, in Boston, in Cambridge. And I remember that was when the shift happened where I started listening to more punk rock and less hard rock. The Germs were a big one for you? I can't say that the album was the album that did it, but it was that moment in time. It was like there was that album. I, I bought um, the Flesh Eaters the same day, uh, Christie's group, and I liked that as well. And I can't remember if, if, if uh, Dead Kennedy's first album had already come out yet or Black Flag's first album. I feel like it was like close to that time. Yeah. It was a really exciting time in music. It's funny yeah. because every, everyone I knew had like had all of those albums music fans whereas in reality like in the big picture of music nobody's heard that music i mean now people have gone back but but it really was a tiny underground niche audience yeah and 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 like offensive to people who who 
like appreciated good music. Even people that were smart, sensitive people, they just thought it was a ridiculous joke and a, like spitting in the face of everything that was good about music. Yeah. And like, like, you know, for me particularly, and you know this about me, the Germs album like changed my life completely and my outlook of what music was. Like it was, it was, and I had a spiritual experience listening to it, like that leaving your body thing, where it just changed the way I looked at music forever. All of a sudden music was not notes and not, you know, learning how to play well. And it was nothing but all that matters is your motivation and your feeling and the expressing your heart in a way yeah. that, you know, that is a release. Um, and that's really like, at what point, when did you start thinking I could make records? I want to make an, a record. Like I didn't, I thought more about like having a band and playing music. I didn't really think about records. I just thought about uh, having a band. And then, and then after having a band for a little while, it did seem like, oh, the, the thing to do would be to make a, you know, a, a, for, I think first we did, I can't remember if we did the EP first or the seven. I think we did the EP first, then we did seven inch, although I'm not sure of the order at this point. But it made two, two hose records, which were kind of in my noisy punk rock band. And it was fun. It was a fun experience to make them. And no one else seemed interested even in the band no one else seemed interested in that part of it i don't think anybody in the bands were that serious about music it was just you know a, a fun pastime at that age and when you made the hose records was that your first time in a recording studio i think so what was that like uh it was fun and i remember um liking the idea of being experimental i remembered um for the sound of a rhythm guitar, instead of having a rhythm guitar, we just used a vacuum cleaner. And the vacuum cleaner was <laughs> doing the job of the rhythm guitar. And I thought that was just a cool idea. Like there would be one guitar that I was playing, which you'd call lead, but it wasn't lead. And then the other guitar would be the rhythm guitar, and that would be the vacuum. And together, <laughs> that would make this sort of wall of noise that would be the sound. So cool. And, and did the studio itself, did you feel like you started like, developing a romance with it at all where you're just like in like for me when i first walked walked in when it was like a, i was on a spaceship or something like I, yeah it was very exciting it was very exciting and then when when hip-hop was happening and i would go to this club negril and every tuesday night was hip-hop night at negril when i was going to nyu the the scene of the djs and the mcs was so cool and as i said earlier the the i would buy every hip-hop record that would come out and they weren't so good and they were not nearly as good as what was going on at the club and then again just as in my fan mode of i feel like i want to hear a record that's more like what the club is than what these records are mm. and then i started making hip-hop records in that style which was really just true more like a documentarian true to what the hip-hop club felt like um which was not as produced as the the early rap records that were being made were essentially r&b records with guys rapping on them yeah no the idea I mean, it's such a new idea at the time it's like taking something and turning it into something else as opposed to you know going in a studio and having a band play and that's an idea that resonated through all of popular culture in filmmaking and in book yeah. writing and all this stuff like taking old ideas and using them as pieces yeah. to create something new in, in a different 
context. And I just kind of want to go back a little bit before you got into hip hop and something we didn't talk about. I know you love James Brown. And I remember you telling me a story of when you were a little kid, like you took a bus like all through the night to go see James Brown and you're just a kid and you're like the only white person there and you, but you go because you love James Brown. Like when did you fall in love with James Brown? What was that like? Um, I fell in love with James Brown early. It was just, again, it's one of those flavors. It wasn't, it wasn't that I like that style of music. It wasn't, it, it wasn't the case with any of the, the groups that I liked, that I like the style of music. It was usually, I like this group. I like this, what these people do. Um, there was a lot of punk rock I didn't like. You know, there was a lot of hard rock I didn't like. And when I heard James Brown, and there was also, it w- wasn't as consistent with Parliament, but there was some Parliament stuff that got me in the same way, but not in the, not in the same way. Because James Brown just seemed like pure essence, pure. It was so, it was so essential what he was doing. And I don't even know if you can call it songs. You know, it's something else. It was just whatever it was that he was doing was like a new form of music. And I loved it. I also loved Barry White. And I felt like he wasn't like the other R&B artists. It was his own trip. And it was so specific. And I tend to like the artists who maybe people would imitate them, but no one else sounded like them. They, They had their own sound. After the final break... Rick talks about his approach to producing and how it hinges on his insistence that he's a fan, not a musician. Stay tuned. You always say that you're not a musician, and you are a musician, and you refuse to accept it. (laughs) But it's kind of like, in a way, I guess from my perspective, you're kind of like a conductor, you know, you're like interpreting music that other people write and that you occasionally do help write yourself, even though you never take credit for it. And you help facilitate it. And what's amazing to me about what you do and what's always been amazing is that most producers or pretty much every other producer I've ever worked with always has an angle of kind of like what they think is good and their sound and what specific to them, like, oh, well, this is, you know, th- this is my sound, this is my idea. I'm like Phil Spector. I do the wall of sound, but whatever their particular aesthetic may be. But in your case, you are able to work with so many different types of artists because you just love something in them, regardless of their particular style. And then you, you work to facilitate that. And, and that just comes from just loving music. It's true. I, I, I think of myself as a, really as a fan and, and I'm listening from a, as a fan and not as a generic fan, but as me, the fan. And I, I listen and feel like this is the, these are the parts that really speak to me. This is where the, it, where it feels like the energy lies in the material. And then how do we amplify that? And how do we take the parts that might be distracting from that and either change them so that they don't distract or create more context so that there's a purpose for them distracting from it, which is, which works to, you know, sometimes contrast is as important as um, unity in, in trying to find what the best overall piece is. But starting from the start, the first part would be, Where's the essence? Where's the where's the thing about it that makes 
makes me want to hear it again? What's the part that interests me? What's also the part that makes me lean forward? What's the part that makes me want to uh, understand more? So it can be, it can either be something that's immediately strikes me as satisfying, or it could be something that strikes me as curious. Like, I haven't heard something like that before. Why is that? Why is it doing that? Why? It's an interesting feeling. Um, trying to think of an example of something. I would say any anytime I've heard a new genre of music that I wasn't familiar with before, like when I was in junior high school, first time I heard the Ramones, I had no context for punk rock. There, I'd never heard any, there was no punk rock at the time that I heard the first Ramones album. They were first. So the idea of them playing that fast it just made me laugh. It just seemed like so ridiculous. And then it went from ridiculous to my favorite thing. And I love the experience of hearing something new that I haven't heard before that I love. And that usually sets me, well, sets me in, in two directions. One, I want to hear everything that the person who made that did. And then yeah. after that, I want to hear everyone who makes any music like that, you know, might be, let's say I'll go through a folk phase. I hear a folk song that I like, and then I listen to all of that folk artist's music, and then I want to hear every folk song and see, is it, do I like this style? Do I like this guy? Are there others that I like? Which, how does it work? What, what's the thing that, that's pulling me in? Because yeah. um, it's different. It really is different from, from artist to artist. Yeah. Same country music. What, every style, like I start, I was thinking about this earlier, with the first hip-hop records I made, it was basically a drum machine. Sometimes a, a drum machine w playing one beat and, um, and maybe some scratching. And if there was scratching, it wouldn't be too complicated. It would be one or two sounds that would just be emphasizing certain parts. And then over the years, it feels like the, the palette of my understanding keeps expanding. So it started with just only a drum machine. And then it might be a drum machine or drums and one other instrument. And then, you know, so, so I like things that are stripped down. I've always liked things that are stripped down, but then I can get to the point where I like something that's stripped down and what's it like with an orchestra. And I can go there now. In the early days, I couldn't because it was too, I didn't understand. It was too much. It was too complicated. So as each layer of like in the hip hop days, melody was not a consideration. That was not part of the the what we were doing. And then when melody came in, that was a whole other thing. And and even in the early days of hip hop, lyrics, while while I liked lyrics when they when they were good, when they when they when I paid attention, the, that wasn't the thing that got me. It was always the phrasing, you know, the 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 rhythm of the vocals were what would pull me in. And then eventually it was melody. And then lyrics might have been the last thing to matter to me, you know, maybe in my 30s, maybe. I was thinking about the word producer and what it meant when you started producing records and um, what people did and like great producers like, you know, George Martin or Jimmy Page or you know, all these records that got produced by guys that were really, you know, orchestrators and musicians and studiers of music and in a certain kind of way, you know, producer used to mean kind of something different. Yeah. And 
I think, and now it's sort of like, you know, someone learns to make a beat on their computer, on their Ableton program, and I'm a producer, <laughs> you know, because yeah. I make beats for people. Um, and it's a, the word like means something different than it yeah. used to. Yeah, I don't, I don't really know what it means. And I think it could mean a lot of different things. You know, it, it, um, when I started, I didn't know there was such a thing as a producer when I started doing it. And I don't, I, I know that different people approach it very differently. If someone, let's say someone was an engineer and then they graduate to being a producer, I'm sure that they approach it very differently than me, who's not an engineer. It's just different. It's a different, um, or many musicians go from being a musician to being a, a producer. And I know you called me a musician, but I'm really more of a fan, really, truly. I mean, I, I have a great love of music, and I can express it clearly, but that's really what it is. That's what it is. Yeah. I, I, I bristle at the idea of calling myself a musician because I can't really play anything very well. For all kids that are growing up today, studying music and in different ways, and many today want to be producers, whatever that word means, you know, um, do you have any advice for them, for yes. young people growing up to be musicians? Yes, yes, Good. yes. Play as much as you can, play in front of people as much as you can, make as many recordings as you can. Don't wait for anyone to give you permission to be involved. Just start. Find, if you want to be a producer, find an artist and who's needs someone who wants to make something and offer to help them make something and do it as much as you can. And it, it, you, it only gets, the more you do it, the better it gets. It's, um, it's truly, whether it be on the playing side or on the, uh, producing side practices everything. And you, over time, you only get better. If, if your love for it continues, you'll only get better. Awesome. I think we're good. Fun seeing you. Yeah, great to see you. <laughs> Last time I saw you was so quick. <laughs> the side of the stage. I was like, whoa! <laughs> I love you. I'm so happy to see you. I love you too. Same. Let's hang soon. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Rick Rubin. Thank you for listening to This Little Light. And as always... We are here to benefit the Silver Lake Conservatory of Music, a nonprofit music school based in Los Angeles, California. Thank you. This Little Light is a presentation of Cadence 13, executive produced by Flea, Chris Corcoran of Cadence 13, and parallel partners Ken Cow, Nicholas Gonda, and me, Jocelyn Florence. The show's lead producer is Julia Smith, with engineering by Ryan Martz. Our show's original theme music is composed by Flea himself. Special thanks to Chris LaSalle, Alex Barron, Ian Turner, Michelle Moses, and Jennifer Ray and her entire team at the Silver Lake Conservatory of Music. Listen and follow This Little Light, a presentation of Cadence 13, on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.